0: In this report, every EV and plug in hybrid I could find in the market today, which qualifies for the federal government's new zero fringe benefits tax eco car incentive. I'm John Ganoven from AutoExpert.com.au, and I get new cars cheap. Australia only. Website card. Now. I've been on a bit of a quest to try and demystify this whole Novated Leasing caper because so many people are doing it for the first time. It's market responding to government policy change, basically. There's so many people thinking about jumping into an eco car for the first time like an EV or a plug-in hybrid and thinking about doing it via a Novated Lease for the very first time. There's a bunch of employers who are thinking about setting up a program for the very first time. And many people are just going, where do I start, dude? Novated Leases, dead simple concept. You just get to liberate some pre-tax income to help you make the payments on the new car. And this means that some of the money you would have otherwise paid in tax gets devoted to the acquisition of the new vehicle, which is a direct benefit to you. And another huge plus is that in many cases, you eliminate the GST entirely up to a benefit of $5,885. And it's hard to see an ordinary Aussie on a salary eliminating the GST from car procurement any other way. So that's a couple of major pluses. The granular detail gets complex quickly, however, and I don't have time to run through all of that with you, and a lot of it depends on your particular financial circumstances. So if you've got questions there, go to novatedleaseaustralia.com.au. I know the owners. I've known them for donkey's years, and I know the people at the Coalface. They're professional and competent, they'll give you straight answers if you've got questions. So many Aussies right now are on the cusp of their first Novated lease, because of these incentives. It's really catalyzed a tsunami of inquiry in that regard. And also employers who want to offer their staff a bit of a free kick, if you like. Like it's a great way to reward staff at very little cost to the business. So there are plenty of questions that arise as a consequence of doing this for the very first time on the employee side or the employer side. So if you want those answered, go to know www.elevatedleaseaustralia.com.au Where you start is with the price. There's a cap. $84,916. This is the luxury car tax threshold for eco cars. The value of the car that you buy, if you want to avail yourself of these benefits, may not be above that price. It's very important. And the price is essentially the drive-away price minus the statutory on-road costs. I've done a whole video on the complexity of that. I'll put a link up there. You should watch that, but essentially that's what it is. And in a nutshell, if you're at about 89 grand drive away, you're kind of near the cap from the point of view of whether or not you qualify for the benefits, okay? And if you're really close, measure twice and cut once, because if you blow it by just $1, all of those benefits evaporate, and this is going to be a financial travesty for you, and you don't want that. And the next big challenge is what vehicles qualify and what vehicles don't. And this is not as straightforward as it seems. Apparently, it's a state secret. So I spent the past couple of days cracking the kooky code on that. And I found 30 vehicles, combination of EVs and plug-in hybrids that qualify. That would be model. And the market works like this. Make, like Ford or Hyundai or something. Model, like Everest. And variant, like XLT. Okay? 30 different models of vehicles and in many of those models, a few different variants qualify. So I'm just going to run them through with you now, and I'll talk about the pros and cons of ownership or consideration either way as well, just in a nutshell. But the main thing is, here's the list of vehicles that qualify, at least today, the ones that I could find. And I'm not claiming to be infallible, so you know, if you can spot one that I have missed, let us know in the comments, dude, and I will thank you for that because overall your input there will help to make this report more accurate. The first one, this is in alphabetical order by brand, the BYD ATO 3, both the standard and the extended range versions qualify. The standard's got a 50 kilowatt hour battery. The extended has 60 kilowatt hours, 20% more. It's going to cost you about $3,000 more to go for the extended. You may not need to do that, depending on the type of operation of the vehicle that you foresee in your driving world. The biggest question mark I have about BYD, it's like all emerging brands... How are they at looking after their customers? Do they have a decent spare parts inventory? What's the reliability like and what's the customer support going to be like? Now, if you jump into bed with a manufacturer that is an emerging brand in this country, in a sense, you're a lab rat and you're running that experiment. Everyone else gets to sit back and watch and then maybe make an informed decision in a few years' time. The price is right with BYD, I'm unaware about, because there's not enough data, about whether or not everything else is going to be right. Number two is the Cupra Born, which is the EV. Okay, 77 kilowatt hours, which is quite a large battery and about 60000 bucks plus on road costs. So that seems okay. Uh, a Cupra Leon vze Plug-in hybrid also qualifies. It's got a comparatively small battery, though, 12.8 kilowatt hours there. And the thing about plug-in hybrids is what you really want is you really want maximum EV-like operational window, meaning biggest battery you can find. And then for the rest of the time when you want to go out and travel in the regions, perhaps, you want to be able to do that as well. But for most of you driving around town, you want to be in EV mode, and therefore the size of the battery of a plug-in hybrid really matters, because that's going to affect two things, which are the discharge rate, so how aggressively can you drive in traffic without kicking the internal combustion engine into play, and how long can you physically go for before the battery is fully depleted the size of the battery really does matter here and the cupra leon is a comparatively small plug-in hybrid as is the formentor which is also a cupra same size battery different model however so those three cupras qualify in terms of being under the cap and my comments about cupra are the same as BYD. They're an emerging brand in this market. How well they look after their customers, how well they support customers with spare parts inventory, technical training, access to qualified service technicians, things of this nature, it's a big question mark for the time being. The Ford Escape, there's one Ford that qualifies. It's the Escape. The variant is the ST-Line plug-in hybrid, which has... A respectable-ish battery at 14.4 kilowatt hours, so a little bit bigger than the Cupra plug-in hybrid there. Moving on, well, let's talk about Ford briefly. Ford's biggest problem is reliability and customer support. They're comparatively poor at that, and there's no evidence that they've completely <laughs> reinvented themselves for their forthcoming eco car lineup. So with Ford, you get fundamentally decent car to drive. Out of the showroom floor, there's a big dealer network. But if you've got a problem, it can be very difficult getting a decent resolution out of them. So take that for what it's worth. Now, there's a few different Hyundais that qualify. Moving on, this is number six, the Hyundai Kona Electric. All variants of the Kona Electric are within the price envelope. That would be the Elite and the Highlander, and the standard battery and the long-range battery as well. So the small block and the big block. The small block is about 39 kilowatt hours, and the big block is 64 kilowatt hours. So 64 kilowatt hours in that vehicle is about enough to get you to Canberra from Sydney, so 300 k's on the highway, just sucking on vapour, even though there's no fuel tank, obviously. I drove the big block Uh, Hyundai Kona Electric for about a year and that taught me a lot about the practicalities of EV ownership. It's very satisfying to drive. It's got uh, reasonably good dynamics although it is adapted from a combustion platform and there are some compromises there. I found that it improved significantly when I put some performance tyres on it. I replaced the Eco tyres with performance tyres and it basically transformed that car. Anyway, you might get away with the small block, the 39 kilowatt hour one, would be fine for just a few tens of Ks every day, plug it in overnight, it would charge up in a heartbeat more or less, in comparative terms. The next Hyundai is the IONIQ 5. Now, this car is interesting to me because it's the first Hyundai developed on their EV only platform, which they call eGMP. And it's got great dynamics, but it's freaking huge. You look at an Ionic 5, like in the distance over here, and you think, "Ah, oh, yeah, it's a bit of a hatch. And as you get closer, you go, hang on a minute. This is as big as a Land Cruiser. And it is. The industry, like, even classifies it as an SUV. Go figure. Anyway, two variants of Ionic 5 qualify, the Dynamic and the Technic. So the base model, and the mid-spec. But the Epic, which is the top spec, you'll blow the cap if you go for that one. And the final one is the just-released Hyundai Ionic 6. Same platform, same powertrain. Slightly higher price, bit sleeker shape. It looks a bit like a cockroach to me, but anyway. The Dynamic, which is the base model of Ionic 6, you can get away with that under the cap as well. Personally, I think Ionic Five is better value. Anyway, next on the list, number nine, we're going to hit Kia. Now, there's a few different Kias that qualify. There's the Kia Nero S and GT line, which is kind of like Kia's Kona Electric. Okay, the Kia Nero Plus in S also qualifies. Same battery, 65 kilowatt hours there the next Kia that qualifies, number 11, is the Kia EV6. And that qualifies in the air and GT line rear wheel drive variants. So not all GT lines, but the rear drive only GT line that qualifies. And it runs on the eGMP platform. It's kind of like EV6 is basically Kia's Ionic 5. I mean, the design execution of those cars is different. The EV6 is meant to be performance flagship, whereas the Ionic 5 is more of an exercise in, I guess you'd call it design liberation, but in terms of their DNA, they're the same vehicle. So the final Kia on the list, number 12, is the Sorento Plug-in hybrid EV in GT line trim. Now, this is interesting to me too, because this is a freaking big car, right? It's like a seven-seat SUV, and yet it comes with a 14-kilowatt-hour battery, which is a comparatively tiny battery for a vehicle quite that big. And that's going to reduce that vehicle's EV operational envelope. Okay, and when you compare that to the Mitsubishi Outlander plug-in hybrid, which we're getting to, you'll see that there's a profound difference there. Anyway, the Sorento plug-in hybrid is in. There's a Lexus on the list as well. Lucky 13 for the Lexus. It's the UX300E Luxury in two variants, the Luxury and Sports Luxury. Okay, the first Mazda on the list, number 14, is the MX30EV. And the trim that qualifies there, like the spec, is the E35 Astina. And it's got a 35 kilowatt hour battery. So that's interesting to me, too, because it's a comparatively small battery. And that means that that Mazda might be just ideal for you if all you do is a bit of short running around. The market is dripping in EVs with huge batteries. They're huge EVs with huge batteries, and well, like in this arms race, whereas many Aussies don't need the huge EV with a huge battery, they need a tiny little EV with a modest battery that just does the domestic running around, which would be ideal for many Aussies, and that first Mazda might exactly be that car for you. Who knows? There's a plug-in hybrid as well in the Mazda stable that qualifies. It's the new CX-30. That's in P50E Evolve and P50E GT Trim. And it's got a pretty interesting battery as well, 17.8, so let's call it 18 kilowatt hours. That's kind of interesting because there are plenty of other EVs in the uh, plug in hybrid EVs in the 13 and 14 sort of ballpark. This is substantially more than that, right? So you'll get a bigger operational. EV window, if you like, if you go for a CX60 compared with plenty of other plug-in hybrids currently on offer. The first and only Mercedes on the list is the EQA 250, which is an EV with 66 and kilowatt hours. So, look, my problem with Mercedes is they're kind of off their meds at the moment in terms of the commercial model, their dealer network, who they boned a couple of years ago. They're suing them for. million for the evisceration, allegedly, of the goodwill that went on in that particular boning session. And they've got this terrible commercial model now where nobody gets a discount. So there's that. They're also not very good at reliability and customer support historically. So that's something to bear in mind. But three-prong is one of the most desirable automotive symbols, and that might be enough for you. MG. Now there's a couple of MGs on the list: the HS Plus plug-in hybrid in Excite and Essence trim, and the ZS EV in Excite and Essence. And MG is really interesting to me because they've rocketed from nowhere to critical mass. They're a top ten car maker in Australia. Like, how did that happen? It happens so suddenly, right? One day they were nowhere, and the next day they're in the top ten. So they've got critical mass. Their dealers are putting that brand front and centre, like dealerships are multi-franchised. So previously, like emerging brands typically out the back, if they can't sell you into a Toyota or something, well, come and have a look out the back kind of thing. MG's not out the back anymore. It's out the front. So I think they've passed the critical mass test. The price is right. I don't think they're quite as polished as the mainstream Japanese and South Korean entrance in the market, but price and quality are related, obviously, and MG is stepping up, and they're stepping up much more rapidly than the Japanese did in the 70s and much more rapidly than the South Koreans did in the 90s and early 2000s. There's a couple of minis as well. There's the mini hatch in SE Classic and SE Yours trim, Who thinks of these names? Anyway, it's an EV with 32 kilowatt hours. So it's another one of these EVs with a small battery and, in a sense, much more practicality for just the daily running around, school, shops, station, whatever. Maybe you've got another vehicle that'll do the longer regional travel that you might do from time to time. The other Mini is the Countryman, which is available in SE Classic and SE Yours. That's a plug-in hybrid EV, but only with a tiny 10-kilowatt-hour battery. So make of that what you will. Mitsubishi Outlander. Now, Mitsubishi's kind of interesting here because they've got two plug-in hybrids. They've got the... Let's do the Eclipse Cross first because the Eclipse Cross plug-in hybrid, it qualifies in ES, Aspire, and Exceed trim. So all three models of Eclipse Cross absolutely qualify. It's got a smallish battery, 13.8 kilowatt hours, not the smallest in the market, certainly not the biggest in the market, which would go to the Mitsubishi Outlander. That is also a plug-in hybrid, and there are four variants there in the range, and all four qualify, ES, Aspire, Exceed, and Exceed Touring. So whichever box you tick on the spec, you'll be under the cap there. And the battery size is huge for a plug-in hybrid. It's 22 kilowatt hours. And the reason I mention this is because if you want the plug-in hybrid with the biggest EV operational envelope and also a nice-sized vehicle to go for a big, long drive in the boonies, then I think we've found the market's current winner. It's the Outlander. And Mitsubishi's really good at customer support and things of that nature. So there's there's no real risk in buying a Mitsubishi. I mean, plug-in hybrids are fairly complex beasts and complexity is hypothetically the enemy of reliability. However, if you do the R&D properly, you can snatch reliability from the jaws of complexity, right? And I see no evidence that they have not done that. Mitsubishi's been uh, one of the first players in the plug-in hybrid domain and I've driven the Outlander. It's quite an impressive vehicle. Nissan Leaf is the next on the list at number 23, okay? It's available in the base model and the E+, both underneath the cap. I don't really rate Nissan as a brand, I don't. I think they've done everything they possibly can to try and kill their brand internationally and here in Australia, and they've been pretty good at it. They're not that good at customer support. They burnt a lot of people with the first Leaf, and I just don't see them as having anything particular on offer that would make you say, no, I've got to have a leaf, okay? Maybe you see it differently to me, but I would spend my money elsewhere, frankly. And speaking of spending your money elsewhere, the Peugeot 508 GT plug-in with its 11 kilowatt hour battery for $77,000 plus on road costs. I'd say that is another example of spend your money elsewhere because Peugeot is just nowhere commercially in Australia. They've got this microscopic commercial footprint, meaning very small number of dealers, very small number of sales. It's hard for me to find an objective reason to recommend Peugeot. Polestar 2 is the next on the list, number 25, so we're nearly there. The standard range, the long range single motor and the long range performance in Polestar 2 will all come in under the luxury car tax cap. And the biggest thing with Polestar is it's another one of these emerging brands. They don't have a dealer network. We don't know what the support is really going to be like. They're very keen to convince you of their Swedishness but all of the vehicles are made in China. So you could be that lab rat or you could just watch other lab rats and see how the experiment turns out. I know which way I would go. The Renault Kangoo comes in at number 26. The Maxi ZEV, 33 kilowatt hours for 54 grand plus on road costs. It's the only courier van kind of conveyance on this list and the battery is kind of small so I guess if you're a florist and you want an electric van to do your little daily running around to your various I don't know wedding providers and things of that nature then might have found a winner you could have a big fat solar array on the roof and it could be just right to plug in whenever you come back to your floristry and plug in if that's the name for a florist's premises anyway the tesla now tesla is the coca-cola of evs right elon musk is kind of kooky and in many respects tesla's a religion and he's electric jesus i get all of that but the one thing that he has done like through the posts on the full is make electric cars cool and he was the first person to do that Tesla is the Coca-Cola of EVs. The Model 3 rear-wheel drive and long-range both qualify for the uh, threshold. They're below the threshold, as does the Model Y, but only the rear-wheel drive in Model Y. Number 29 now, Volvo X, uh, Volvo C40. Sorry, the recharge variant. It qualifies. And Volvo's XC40 in Recharge and Recharge Twin. They both qualify. I'm a little hazy about Volvo and Polestar because Polestar is a Volvo brand, okay? And Volvo is a Geely brand and Geely is this massive Chinese conglomerate, okay? So really, it's all Geely. And Volvo's going electric anyway, but we've got Polestar and... I just don't get how that all works together. But anyway, Volvo's on the list. Volvo would not be my first choice either because I think a lot of these European brands kind of drag themselves around using the wake vortex that follows Mercedes-Benz, Audi and BMW. You know, the three leading premium German powerhouses. They drag all of these other... European brands in their wake and the European brands in Australia try and sell themselves on this the basis of superiority because you know European design construction superiority that may have been the case 30 years ago it's certainly not the case now because all automotive features are available off the rack all the advanced electronics the Adaptive cruise control, all of that stuff that would previously have been associated with premium European whatever, it's all off the shelf. And there's really nothing that any of these also-ran Europeans offer that is not also firmly on offer from Japanese, South Korean, whatever – entrance in the market and the thing is with the Japanese and the South Koreans they've got large market share meaning lots of dealers lots of trained service professionals they've got lots of onshore parts inventory and you're much less likely to be in a position where you're waiting six eight ten months for a critical widget because your vehicle has come down with a problem. Anyway that's the 30 EVs and plug-in hybrids that I could derive from the list of whatever it is, 250 different cars that are currently on the market. They're the eco cars that qualify. Hopefully this has gotten you at least onto the blocks so you can start what I hope is not too much of an endurance event when it comes to racing from here to eco car ownership.